bringing it back full circle, what colour mist takes away bandwidth? <laughs> <laughs> Maroon. Yeah. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day scholars and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. This is episode 5 and I'm your host Dom Philpon. the mic, not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge every single Friday on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from and the best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe. If you found us on Twitter, over 10,000 followers over there, well maybe you could tweet out that you like the show. If you found us on Instagram, there are fewer than 10,000 followers over there. Only by a few though. Maybe you could add it to your Instagram story. Why don't you give someone a call? They didn't know your ass better call somebody. Why don't you ring your brother, your mother, your sister and your cousin? Tell them all about the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast if you like what we're doing. Spread the word, spread the love or don't. No pressure here because it's all for fun. Hey guys, we're going to get straight into things. Let's get into what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. All right, this is the podcast episode five. Uh, Tom Philp here with Ross Casey, Matthew Brummett and Matt Connolly. All the regulars, all the favourites. Back we are again. Um, recording this on a Monday night. So if you're listening to this, you know, in two Thursdays, don't make fun of us for getting our predictions wrong. Uh, lads, let's get it going. What the nerds are watching. Uh, what are we bringing, bringing up this week? Anyone been watching anything exciting? I watched, Not all at once. Uh, I, re- I rewatched. watched um, Guys, I don't know if this is a spoiler, actually, so I might be a little bit careful with it. But I did rewatch um a bit of... Uh, Ric Flair versus Barry Windham from the Crockett Cup in 1987 today. I watched the first half of it actually, so I don't have any spoilers. But um, <laughs> I don't have I don't have 20 minutes to watch a wrestling match before. But I remember because I've seen it before. But I remember recommending it on as there was a bit of a Barry Windham chat because that's how we live our lives on the group. Um, and I was like, yeah, because he had an amazing. And everyone talks about Flair Steamboat and Flair Funk. But the Flair Wyndham uh, bunch of matches, there's a real hot trilogy of them, are just so good in 86 and 87. The problem is, like, all Flair, it's, it's actually very similar for the Steamboat feud. They're all, like, about a million hours long. But the Crockett Cup one comes in a, a blistering 25 minutes, which is a sprint for 1987 NWA main events. So, yeah, that was, that was I've enjoyed watching the first half, and I'll watch the second half tomorrow, I think. I once um, read a review of a Barry Windham match and it described him as a big, sexy jungle cat. And now I've used, <laughs> I've used that description for wrestlers a hundred times now that aren't Barry Windham, but I just thought it was such a good description. It might have been from that one of the flair matches someone described him as that. But that's a perfect description for Saxon Huxley as well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually um, got into Barry Windham only a few years ago. Me and Shaft. Went for our, our um, 1992, 1993. We attempted to do every WCW Saturday night, every WWF superstars and the pay-per-views. And at the start of lockdown, we were doing really well. And I don't think Sharfy's watched one in about eight months. <laughs> but in the process, when we were actually pretty um, deep diving into it, 
Barry Windham was so, so good. And I remember doing a tweet on our Twitter and just saying how good Barry Windham was and how much I was enjoying his 92 run. And loads of people would have actually said, if you like him in, in, in 92, you have to go and see his stuff in 88. Yeah, yeah. But, but all that run, like 86 to 88, he's a fucking brilliant wrestler. Really good. Um, I, um, Dynamite this week, and I absolutely loved it. I thought that they covered what happened on Revolution pretty well. Um, Callis in particular, I thought absolutely smashed it on the mic. Um, so, so, so good. What I didn't like a little bit was the fact that the two main faces, Kingston and Mox, kind of laughing around and saying that Impact were at fault for the bomb. I feel a bit like Impact are getting nothing out of that other than people thinking that they're Bush League. And that's not what this deal should be doing for them, really, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that's doing them any favours, especially coming from faces like Mox and Kingston. Um, so I'm quite interested to, to see how that plays out because if Omega wins the title, I don't know what that does for Impact because it's almost like it's a bit of a nothing promotion then, isn't it? Like I know people will, will, will laugh and say, well, it is anyway. But for me, that was the one takeaway that I, that I came out of that Dynamite being like, oh, like where do, I, where do Impact sit with this? And then the, the Impact Tag Team Champions came out to, to like do an attack from behind and, and ended up coming out on the losing end. So every, like everything about impact on that episode came a bit like AEW's top dog and impact is lead to at best. I, I'd really like to see what impact viewing numbers are like since AEW started to be involved. Like I, so I watched it and I had the complete opposite reaction to you. I laughed. I thought it was funny. And I was like, oh, that's cool. A little impact reference. That might draw a few eyes to the product. And then I just wonder if like, but I wonder if like maybe you're taking it a bit too seriously. Like I think it, it, it was just lighthearted, right? And I think if impact are getting more views each week and if this Rich Swan, Kenny Omega feud draws some eyes to the product, I think they'll be really happy. I don't think they'll be worried about it, will they? I don't know. Do, do you think that impact, do you think that they're sitting around worried about um like people's perception of them or are they just looking at the numbers isn't it a bit like a, a sub-saharan african country getting into bed with china where they go right you know we're going to be on the shit end of this deal you're going to take a lot like, of our natural resources and have a lot of control but net will be we're hoping that we're going to be brought up by this because you're going to build us a bunch of roads is that is that you, very similar to tna and, and aw's relationship <laughs> or do you, I, I, do you think that that's what X-Pac was thinking when he got into bed with China? <laughs> <laughs> Brum tries geopolitical analysis and uh, <laughs> makes a banging joke standard. <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand anything after that bit. <laughs> I just uh, think it's quite interesting is that, like, for example, Callis um, said about how... Um, at, um, Pinkston was given the ball at, at impact by Callis and he was the one that dropped it, etc. etc. That kind of thing kind of works, but it's coming across a bit like the TNN EC, ECW thing with um, him playing that Cyrus character. But I don't know how much they're going to include that in impact because obviously Scott Damore 
plays the GM in, in Impact. So unless Scott Damore becomes this kind of like hill hill promoter as well that's in, in cahoots with Callis and helps Omega win the title, maybe that's what they're going for, perhaps. Um, who knows? It's what we need. It's what we've been calling out for for a long time, isn't it? More heel authority figures. So if we three with Scott Demore, Tony Khan, and Don Callis, I'm all for it. Maybe bring in Dixie and the Harris brothers and Jeff Jarrett as well. Magnificent seven heel authority figures. The absolute. <laughs> um, well, before we move on, can we also talk a bit of love for the progress card? Well, especially the main event, Cara v. Um, Jacobs. Brilliant. Mm. The the moment that we've already spoke about in our private group chat, but we'll let everyone else in on when um Cara turned his back oh. to take the um impact of Valeria on his on that on this can't speak on his back instead of taking it face on, like just such a magic moment. The camera caught it well as well. It's just perfect, perfect wrestling. N- name a better in ring wrestling moment in the last 12, 18 months. I, I, I can't think of any. Gorgeous. High praise indeed. Love it. Yeah, in, in general, a, 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 a super quick note on progress. I was, I've probably been a little bit of a negative Nelly over the, when we talked about the past two episodes. And though this wasn't a, a completely different show, I think it's filled me with a lot more optimism. There was a lot of, there's still a, a lot of things they're doing wrong are still there, but I think there's there's enough good there that I'm quite quite excited about the next next episode. Bit, a bit of teeks and mambo action, all good. I think they pulled it off pretty well. I like the fact that they obviously just gave PK a microphone and said, hey, go out and be yourself. And he was, and he didn't speak perfectly, but it was really believable and there was real emotion. Um, I thought I thought they really did a good job um, for uh, like a promo like that where there was no crowd or anything. It's very difficult, isn't it? But um, I thought I thought it came across really well. Yeah, that was, that, that was probably my, my favourite moment of the show in terms of, the feels definitely. It was it was great to, to see the pair of them finally as a tag team in progress, having having been so across a lot of promotions in the UK. I like I don't want to talk too much about what we've been watching. I watched a little bit of New Japan on the weekend as well. Anyone been watching any of that? Uh, I've, I've watched a few. Well, I, I watched the um, I, since the last one was there the 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 Gabriel Kidd Zack Saber Jr. match. Watch that. Watched him versus Osprey. Watched a couple more. But they're, they're my two best matches of the tournament so far. The two the two Saber matches. I don't know about you, Don. I've seen none of that. Yet. I like. I'm a little bit behind just because they they take a couple of days to get the English commentary up. I did watch one show with the um with the Japanese commentary, but I found that I couldn't easily turn away to do the washing up because I didn't know what was going on. Whereas with the English commentaries, <laughs> I can. I, I can just go about my business and Kevin Kelly just tells me what's happening without me even having to watch it. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I've just really enjoyed the way that the tournament is progressing. Um, so I guess who, who, who you got, uh, like, who did we take in the, we, we, you know, just for anyone who listens that doesn't know us personally, which is no one, but we have a big league um, that three of the four of us are in. Who's everybody got going um, in their pickums for the tournament winner? I had a carder. Because <laughs> basically, I've got no balls and decided that Shingo was going to win it. But because he got a carder in the first round, I bottled it and went, oh, they'll probably give it to a carder again. Now you I feel are like an idiot. Yep. 
I, I took I took Jay White because I had no idea, and he's got abs now. But yeah, yeah, that um that that next match with him and Tanahashi should be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm not in your I'm not in your group, but I think I think I fancied um a rematch of the beer the BOSJ final and doing Osprey versus Shingo in the final with with Shingo to beat him. As, as someone who's picked Shingo, I would love that. <laughs> that would be excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable, set for four falls, talks about wrestling dreams, best repackaging, the NXT Women's Tag Team titles, and an eight-minute monologue about Kevin Dunn. This is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Pod Roundtable. Okay, um, all right, main event time, fellas, uh, round table. This is the section of the show where we all bring forward one wrestling idea. It can be absolutely anything, and we have a bit of a discussion about it. Um, so I think I'm going to lead us off this week because I can't remember what else everybody else is going to talk about. And I had a little bit of a funny idea this week. Um I was just wondering, have you guys ever had any wrestling dreams? Um, I, I'm like a bit weird in that I, I don't remember too many of my dreams. I'm more of like a colour and shape man, like the Food Fighters album. Um, but I, I, like, I do remember a couple of wrestling dreams I had where I like am backstage at like a WWF show. This is when I was a lot younger probably. And all the wrestlers are there and I'm getting autographs. And then, but like something will go wrong where I lose the paper that I'm getting autographs on or like for some reason, like um, it starts raining and the paper gets ruined. Um, so like I used to have that anxiety dream a lot where it's like the best day of my life and I'm, and, but then for some reason I lose it all and then I wake up. Um, so that was like, that, that was like a childhood recurring dream. I used to have a lot. About wrestling, I don't know. Am I the only weird one that's ever had wrestling dreams, or have you guys ever had dreams about wrestling? Um, I, I'm like you, Dom, in that I don't remember many of my dreams, but but I, but I do have a kind of a, a recurring dream every, every now and again where there's different situations, but the basically the premise of the dream is that I've been put in the situation where I'm going to have to do something, and I'm fully aware that I don't know how to do it. For example, I'm on the side of the stage about to play a song at Glastonbury without knowing how to play it. <laughs> um, and I've definitely had dreams where I've been backstage at a wrestling show awaiting to join a Royal Rumble and not knowing what's going on or how to do it or how to stop making a twat of myself. That's definitely something that happens to me on a semi-regular occurrence. But I don't really have anything like explicit to tell you other than I'm pretty sure like well I do know that one of my first ever like sexual dreams was about Trish Stratus and it remains one of my best ever sexual practice. That was really I imagine you like going to sleep and vividly dreaming back to back eight 
WWF Superstars episodes from 1991, like exactly correct as they were, and then waking up and then going to sleep the next day, and then you start on the next episode and it goes chronologically, <laughs> and then you uh, maybe after 1993 and go back to 1991 again. Those would be some vibrant colours. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I didn't necessarily have wrestling dreams, but um, I used to hallucinate when I was ill. Wow. So, um, so like nothing serious or like that worrying. But so when I was a kid, it would be that my Dennis Burkamp poster was alive and I'd be talking to it. <laughs> um, and then the last time I remember having these like dreams, it was wrestling related because I was imagining I was probably about 15 at the time. And Randy Orton was threatening to elbow drop me from the corner of my room. And I can still <laughs> remember it now, like knowing it wasn't real, but it was, it was real because I was hallucinating. So, Randy, uh, Orton. Randy Orton doing a dive. What a, hip, what a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, well, he wasn't actually <laughs> doing it. He was teasing it. He was like Spider-Man in the top corner of my room on a little ledge, just saying he was going to elbow drop me. And I was like, oh, don't. So, <laughs> don't <do> that, <laughs> that was, and we're talking like, Early Orton, so he's got like evolution looking at Randy Orton. I don't know why it was Randy Orton. I wasn't even watching wrestling loads then, but yeah, I, I hallucinated about Randy Orton. I love, dropping me. I love the idea what of like voices eight- in your head, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of eight year old Connolly like still talking like a geezer, like, nah, Randy, leave it out, mate. <laughs> Come on, mate. Nah, nah, mate. <laughs> Have a day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably definitely told him that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brummett, yeah, anything? Uh, yeah, again, so I'm not, I, I don't remember. Like, some of you lads don't have a lot of memory for dreams, but um, I don't have specific wrestling dreams. But my, what my brain does, probably similar to everyone's, is that you'll have like you'll have people in your dreams, and it just fills in with whatever extras it needs to. So, and obviously, because I watch a lot of wrestling, I'll have like a work dream. Where I'm doing a presentation, but not like a scary one. It just it goes fine, <laughs> not very exciting. <laughs> At the boardroom table, they'll be like, um, like I don't know, Sting, Chuck Mambo, <laughs> like a footballer, like Benoit Asuakoto, who are obviously really interested in whatever companies I'm working for at the moment. So like cash flow projections over the next five years but so they're not so a lot of wrestlers feature in my dreams but they're not as wrestlers they're just their face and their name on an extra or whatever the you know the the, the last thing i'll say as just because it's my topic i guess is the other one that i that was common for me was i when i was when i was in secondary school i was like i was a pretty sort of like nervous sleeper like i i used to have trouble getting to sleep and i, I figured out that i needed to always have something on in my room so when i got a tv in my room i had like um like three ecw dvds and like the rise and fall of ECW, and I'd just put a different one on every night. But the the like I that like sometimes sometimes with like the WWF DVDs at the time, they would just have like a fifteen second song on the DVD menu. The amount of times I woke up to fucking Matt Morgan's entrance music on the <laughs> ECW Rise and Fall DVD, it was the same music. And anytime Matt Morgan would come out on SmackDown, I'm like, that's the fucking ECD DVD music. And no one ever cared. But anyway, that was just me yelling at the TV. <laughs> it's always it's burnt into my memory. Um, all right, round table. Uh, who's up next? Um, Ross, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So uh, the subject that I was bringing to the table this week, repackaging. There you go. Uh, So uh, wrestlers that get repackaged, um, just a a kind of a general discussion on 
times that it went well, times that it hasn't gone well, just a general thought process of, um, firstly, um, do you like, do you, do you guys worry when someone gets repackaged? Is it just based upon the fact that you previously loved the previous character or the wrestler itself? Or um, do you get precious about a wrestler losing their surname, for example, obviously, which is, or first name, sorry, which is something that happens a lot in WWE. But um, just to bring some stuff to the table, my, my two ones that I was gonna bring forth were, my favorite is probably um, Catches Jack into Mankind. I think that was such a brave call. Obviously, um, Cactus Jack was well known in both the West and the East um, with his Cactus Jack character. Um, around, around 1995, a year previous, he was the king of the deathmatch, um, which gained obviously notoriety um, all over the world. Um, and he was a well-loved character in WSW, not utilized to his maximum um, potential even though he put his body on the line again in those matches against uh, Vader in particular. Um, he was let go, then went to, e to ECW, where he really flourished um, with, with that amazing character work, where he, he um, it, in particular, the stuff where he, where he became anti-hardcore, that was amazing promo work. Um, and it was a brave move to, to, to bring him in as an entirely new character, especially one that could have easily come across as hokey. Uh, but I thought that the character work that Foley did as Mankind where he would rip his hair out. He would, um, it was like, it was hokey, but it was believable. And I think that it was layered enough that he really got his teeth into it be beyond what the Cactus Jack character actually was. Um, so I think that was probably my most successful um, repackaging. And probably my, my least is probably the franchise Shane Douglas turning into Dean Douglas, the um, annoying teacher with his nails screaming across the chalkboard and being forced out of the WWF by the click. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my kind of entryway into the subject. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think Ross, I think, because uh, I had a couple of thought answers on this, but I think you're one of Foley's a great shout because it's, a character who was already good and then yeah. saying, right, let's change it and it going very, very well and becoming, you know, I mean, Mankind as a, as a gimmick is what, like top top 10 in, in wrestling history. It's like, like amazing. M mine was more someone, like an idea of someone who was kind of not floundering, but maybe not, not quite the potential and then given a character who they just absolutely developed into. And uh, so had runs as... Scotty Flamingo and then Johnny Polo or whatever, but then the but then Raven. I mean, I think yes, I think Scotland is an incredible, incredible wrestling mind. But that character, it's what it's what really. I, I'm not sure if I'd be a wrestling fan now, or I'd have definitely got a different way into it if it wasn't for Raven um, and the ECW on on um, Bravo and, and that kind of stuff. Like just just incredible, like and just so realised. Um, I, I could talk about Raven. I think Don probably could as well for months. So I'm going to try and leave it there so we don't come in at a 380 minute time. And I'm, I'm going to interestingly go um, with you, Ross, of ECW to, to a bigger company. And Mike Awesome, who was like red hot, like ECW guy, is just an absolute fucking monster. And then obviously the two of the worst gimmicks ever, that 70s guy and the fat chick thriller. 
I mean, was just, you know, and, and I'm sorry, Matt, I know WCW 2000 is the greatest promotion in the world for you, but still, like, I just think that time, I think Mike Awesome could have been a real hot injection for WCW and could have taken them the right way, and they just fucking, yeah, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? They're, they're my two. Awesome's in, awesome's in best and worst, isn't he? It's, it's the best comedy value, but it's, <laughs> it is bad. <laughs> the Raven shout is amazing, actually. I didn't actually even think of Raven, but from Scotty Flamingo into, um, what was the name of him in WWE? Uh, Johnny Polo, which is really interesting because obviously in the latter days of his, of his Raven character in WCW, which people criticised a bit, where he was this actually is this like preppy kid who like was really rich and he actually um, just took the and then just basically took the Raven character as whatever. That is an interesting throwback to Johnny Polo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Scotty Flamingo. And Scotty Flamingo, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, talking of... Um, kind of repackaging they tried to do raven in with that um with, with that sunday night heat gimmick as well didn't they with the seven sins yeah yes yeah which which in better hands could have been amazing yeah yeah but that, that is to be fair a lot of doing booking around that time was they had these really red hot ideas well i, I say that time forever they've had some incredible ideas and then they've been diluted and diluted and then turned into a mess but yeah sean o'hare being probably the best example of that but that's uh yeah that's a great a great example Ross. what about you matt yeah i mean I, I, when you said about it i guess go for the obvious ones really like obviously Skip sheffield to ryback yeah i mean we've got to get him in it's uh, <laughs> the, the quota of one mention of ryback an episode has now been filled so um we can done it no but like obviously repackaging or a regeneration i, I like we've the Triple H one for me, like having a character that was, uh, you know, whatever the Hunter Hearst Helms, the idea was, it was very old fashioned. And like, I think we've said about this before, but 2000 Triple H is like the perfect wrestler. So like when he does, from the moment he cuts the I am the game promo in 99, like I suppose that is a repackaging in a way because it's a more serious term for him. I love that. Um, and really obvious, but Hollywood Hogan from Hogan is genius, isn't it? Too great. the whole colour scheme. Yeah. Yeah. And for bad ones, Shorty G, just because the name was terrible. Yeah. And, and, those basketball, and those basketball shorts. And the costume was terrible. But, like, he's probably recovered from it now, but it's bad. I, I can't think of too many that are, like, major, major character switches. One that I enjoy that I think a lot of people don't enjoy is The Fiend. I thought that was a pretty good one. Um, and I mean, I know that they there's an argument now that they've probably gone a bit too far and maybe they've dropped the ball a little bit, but I just, I, I was just so into that first Fiend entrance and match with Finn Balor. I just thought they nailed it. I thought it was going to be revolutionary. Um, and, and then like the other ones that come to mind for me aren't really major character repackagings, but just when people tweaked their character maybe from going from baby face to heel or something like that um i and like the one that really stands in my mind is the rock i like the corporation rock man that was my fucking jam i when everybody else was cheering for austin rock was always my guy and corporate rock was like my favorite incarnation when watching and because i watching him change from the nation rock to corporate rock was just my favorite thing and then even when he broke it back out again, like in, I guess it was like 
04 or something like that when it was like the Hollywood, Hollywood Rock. Rock. That's brilliant. Yeah. Even I really liked Hollywood Rock as well. Um, yeah, it was just great. So I, I think, I mean, obviously the guy can do it all. He might be, you know, one of the most genuinely talented people in the world. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can't go past the little tweaks that the Rock made during his career. Just to um, tie it all up then, just a, just a quick question of, um, do you think it's like, like, like really ballsy of WWF, WWE, I guess, to um, like take these characters, like we've said, how, um, like, like with Mankind and, and particularly like Dustin Rhodes, um, turning him into gold dust, these like real kind of character based characters. Like, I don't really see that happening too much in any other promotions. And I, I, and I know it probably stems from the fact that they want copyright and all that sort of stuff with those wrestlers rather than like they want to own it. I don't really see it happening too much in any other promotion. Like Brummett gave the example of Mike Awesome, which is something that happened, but probably shouldn't have happened. But I can't think of too many. Like it There's seems- Sean Spears bleached his hair last week. <laughs> I think but then some promotions like it doesn't work or maybe it doesn't work it's harsh but in New Japan they've tried two wild new gimmicks with Master Wato and the Great Okan and neither of them quite sing for me even though they're working the rings fine but the fact do, they've do got think, these do crazy do you think Master Wato is better than Mankind Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he is <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I was thinking of a couple of WCW ones Ross Canyon from Mortis yeah. Um, Mortis was just cool as well, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole episode about how fucking good Canyon was. That's my take for next week. I'm going to just talk about Canyon for <laughs> three hours. So I know so I, I, I know you hate uh, other wrestling podcasts, Matt, but um, Chris Jericho did about two hours on Canyon. Who? About Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think Matt Connolly's up next. Yeah, mine is, uh, again, it's quite a open-ended it's not really a point to what i want to talk about it's more i just i want to have a conversation about it a brief one maybe but um so obviously nxt announced the uh women's tag titles last week already there's been two champions which is good to see some wcw book in there <laughs> um but uh I, I just wondered what everyone's thoughts were on that because obviously like i think everyone would probably say that the nxt women's division is stacked like even losing um Rhea Ripley recently, like they've just got like a ton of women to come in and take a spot anyway. Um, and it, it feels like a good division that that's actually suffered from, in my opinion, having a, a fantastic title scene for the last year. I, I think Io Shirai is fantastic, maybe the best wrestler in all brands, but I don't think the title reigns had been filled with bangers. Maybe I'm just forgetting them. Um, I know the match where she won the title was, was great, the, the three-way, but since then I've not been completely immersed in that. But there's been a lot of stories in the women's division that have been great. So I'm not against the idea of the tag belts being there. I think my problem with it is more that the way that they book their tag belts, it men's, women's, roster, whatever, they just always revert back to the frenemy storyline to push their title picture yeah. in every, and I just worry they're going to do that. Like how many Dusty Cups have been won by like Balor and Joe? I've just won it because all these tag teams are rubbish. And I just know eventually they'll revert to that with this booking. Like I'll give it till the end of the summer that the NXT Women's Champion is going for the Women's Tag Team titles. Like, just because it's what they've done on the main roster, I just don't trust them to book a proper tag division within 
that roster. But there's definitely enough talent and things. And maybe I'm just being overly negative and I'm random. But uh, what does everyone else think? Ross, you're a beacon of positivity. Um, so for me, I'm very happy that they've got a new title in the division because it is absolutely stacked, as you said. I've seen um, a tweet go around recently um, of the picture of all the females on the ramp and someone said, this is hoarding. um so i i think it does need a title but i'm surprised that that they went with the tag titles i actually think that what that 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 a smarter play would have been to bring in the equivalent of a north american title and give that um division uh a mid-card title um because as you say the tag team division that filled up that dusty cup it wasn't really tag teams apart from the way potentially I think it was it was by and large people that were shoved into a tag team situation. Um, so for me, I think that putting the tag titles in that division it is not as good a play as it ha- had they brought in a, a single title. I've I've not thought about that before, but that's an that's an incredible shout, Ross. Having like a, a like a a Tony Storm style wrestler, like having a yeah a and the 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 Florida women's championship or whatever, you know, and I think, I think it's a lovely idea. I mean, do we think, um, I know that I'm, I'm at, at times have a bit of hyperbole on this, but do, do we think that the NXT women's division over the past couple of years, so post for horsewomen, even like even just the past, past year or so is the strongest women's division for a mixed company in the history of wrestling. So obviously not purely women's promotions like early mid nineties, JWA or, or modern stardom, just looking at a mixed, a mixed company. I can't think anyone that comes close. I don't think that they've ever had a lull. No. Like the men's main event scene, people are arguing has gone through a certain lull at some point in NXT's history, but I don't think that you can really point that towards the females. But, but, but I think it's got stronger. I think the, the amount of mid-card feuds they've got in there, Zia Lee, that kind of stuff, there's lo- so much going on. It, it's, was, it, it's a great, great division. There was almost a whole hour back-to-back of mm. women's stuff last week on, on NST, and it didn't feel like filler at all. Don, any takes? Oh, mate, I, I just really would echo what everybody else has said. Um I so I'm a big advocate for fewer championships in wrestling, just as a general rule. I've said that about New Japan. I've said that about WWE. Um, and I, I mean, if if I was booking a promotion, and you know, one day wrestling should be fun wrestling, well, uh, it's only ever going to have one championship. That's it. Ring of Honor style, world title, tag title. Everyone else can fuck off. Um, is, is WWE up to? I don't know if you, anyone knows off the top of the head. Is that tw- about 27 now? Will it be with the NXT women's titles, individual championships? So if you count tags as a couple uh, of I believe that's correct. Uh, I think someone went through and did the numbers about how many different champions there are in WWE, and it was, you know, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, I, I think, you know, on the positive side, I believe that it's anything that gives the WWE an opportunity to use more women on the show. Um, sometimes uh, I think that it, and I mean, I, I would have the same problem. I'm sure I was booking. I think it really, 
um, it's hard to get more than one women's feud on television at a time sometimes. And I think that if the tag belts help with that, that's that's only good because, like you say, for NXT especially, the women's division is the strength probably. So why not try to find ways to get more women on TV in meaningful um, matches and feuds that have stakes? So, I mean, I'm somewhat for it as outside of my normal baseline ideology of fewer belts. So, yeah, just sitting on the fence, me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the reason I brought up is like when I think of the secondary feuds, I was talking like uh, Kai and is it Nixon Neal? What's sorry? Is that, is that a WWE name? Forget her name. Um, Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox. Sorry, I'm being a dick there. Uh, Tegan Knox and Kai had, had the feud, and you had the like when EO and Candice had a Candice LeRae um, had a great undercard feud. Like the secondary feud sometimes has been really good. Rhea and Raquel did it too recently, and I'm just worried that'll now be replaced with. I'll just stick for any four of the women. They don't have to have a history in the tag division. And that will now be our secondary feud. And yeah, it's getting more women opportunity. And that's great. Or any wrestler an opportunity is great. I just worry that the stories won't be as strong because they're having to shoe on it into a tag division. But I think that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think you're exactly right as well, Matt. I, I think that um, it could be a generational thing. It might take a few years for there to be some people that are like, hey, we're coming in as a women's tag team. You know, like we're, we're actually going to devote ourselves to this, not for a six-month run, but for a, you know, for a longer period of time. This is our thing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that you guys will all uh, rip me apart here, but I can't think of many um, women's wrestlers who were tag team wrestlers, uh, you know, in a predominant form other than what the jumping bomb angels in the 1990s. But and the Iconics count as a tag team, or are they two singles? I don't know. No, I suppose so. I mean, I guess they were always right. presented as a team, right, from day one when they got characters. So, they, yeah, they, I guess they, even people like Lakel were just more like more singles wrestlers than tag wrestlers, right? On <laughs> Medusa complex of tag team, I guess Are they they quite established as. Well, I mean, they were for a little while, but yeah. now one one of them lives 20, <laughs> 26 thousand kilometers away. So, I mean, one signed. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's Casey Owens' sister name, Ross? Do you know the other one? Casey and... I can't remember. I literally, for a completely different reason, I saw this about three or four days ago, but like my baby memory is just killing me at the moment. Yeah. Uh, anyway, disregard. They're um, twins. They look very alike. They're definitely twins. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely twins. And, yeah, one of them sort of went into the commentary route, and she's also like a practising witch, I believe, but that's neither here nor there. That's these, this is the sort of thing you find when you just when you have a wrestling only Instagram. Practicing <laughs> uh, as a witch, like are we talking kayfabe, brother? Who's up next? Last round table. Matthew Brummett. Yeah, mystery I, think, pick. I think it's me on mystery mystery pick. So we'll see how this goes. We'll just hit can that. I can 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 I can I preface this, uh, dear listener, by saying that Brummett told us he's coming off the long run. So maybe you want to get a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just need to justify myself before you guys destroy my point my okay my take is that the executive producer of wwe kevin dunn as out of anyone in the history of wrestling had a worse were uh, the worst influence on the wrestling product as a whole um right so <laughs> give me give me a chance so for, for those of you that don't know kevin dunn's on the wwe board he's a he's the exec producer but he also is like does like the data like day-to-day 
line production kind of stuff. Some of the weekly shows still, or at least he did when I, when I used to watch it. He, he's been with WWE for like a million years. I think he was a line producer on WrestleMania 3. His, his origin story is an interesting one. Apparently his dad like saved some tapes from a burning truck, so the McMahons gave him a job for life. Either that or he has the, the locked box from the Shane McMahon return storyline and has got dirt on Vince. I don't, I don't know what, what the truth is. Um, but, but yeah, so essentially his there's a lot of there's a lot of chat about him as a, as a human being apparently some horrible misogynist who ruins people's careers and you know and and if you if you read the dirt sheets that steph and triple h are going to bin him when they take over but i'm not interested in all that stuff you know i don't i don't know him um and i just know i'm just going to focus on what we know for now which is his impact on how wwe looks because as is one of his roles is is how the product when you watch it looks from from in-ring to packages to entrances all that shebang it's obviously vince as a as as an input but it's pretty much done to remit so until last year when i stopped watching watching wwe really um i i probably watched WWE constantly for about got me over 20 years like fully as in watching it every week and sporadically for nearly 30 and throughout that entire period, it's never been my favourite wrestling company. Um, but I'd always watched it because it was like the biggest show in town and like the hot stories were there. And, and on top of that, I guess more recently, over the past five to ten years, they've brought in basically all my favourite wrestlers. So, you know, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, Zayn, like a million of them. Like, so they built up this incredible roster. And yet I still found that their product was, their in-ring product, was vastly inferior to it, the competition. Well, well, I say competition, the, the wrestling that I like. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, right? These are all brilliant guys. Why is why are the matches not that good? And, and if you look online, people have got loads of explanations for this, right? Some say it's the booking, some say the commentary shit, some say that the matches are like slower or softer or too PG or not as technically sound. Um, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with the booking point as, you know, we all like to be invested in feuds and wrestlers, but I've watched plenty of matches in other companies where I know diddly squat about who's involved like in the feud or anything and still absolutely love the match. So, so I don't necessarily buy into that. And, and what I did, this, this started happening years ago, but, but I've done it a couple of times since because I'm, I'm a geek and I find this stuff interesting, is watching like an acclaimed WWE match, especially a modern one, against a wrestling match from a different company that I really like. And seeing, like, what, what are the actual differences? Are, are people on the interweb right about, about the difference in quality? And, you know, and obviously the commentary in WWE is absolutely horrific. That's not, that's not a hot take. But because I had two matches, I had them both on mute, so that wasn't a factor. And if you look at the wrestling, yeah, WWE matches are a little bit slower. I think that's mainly because of the, the larger ring. So it, things take longer to do in a larger ring. And um, it's slightly heavy, heavy hitting, you get less chop spots and stuff, but not, not enough to, to be an issue. And, and yeah, the chain wrestling may not be like peak ROH, but there's still a lot of great wrestling in there. So it was none of them really, that none of those variables made up such a difference to make the, the matches so like vastly inferior for my enjoyment. So I was like, well, what actually is different? And the, the clear difference is the visual production. So, and that, that covers a lot of aspects. 
you know, lighting is, is an interesting one. WWE is way too well lit, but I'm going to push all those side bits away and focus just on the camera work. And by that, I mean, not, not the poor fellas doing the filming, because I'm sure they're brilliant, but the choice of camera angles, the amount of camera angles used and the frequency of the cuts is, is what I'm interested in. Because that is, like, obviously, you'll see online people showing a really bad WWE cut. And that's not, that might not be Kevin Dunn's fault. He's not, despite all his, his remit, he's not the live director. That, that's probably the live director's call. But he is the guy that's, in, you know, basically pushes them to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, and there's, I'm even going to bench for now. I'm even going to bench the more egregious stuff, like cutting to the crowd. Who gives a fucking shit? I don't want to see some moron's face. Show me wrestling. Or the shaky cam shit, which makes you want to be sick. Even if we, even if they got rid of all that stuff, if you compare it to um, like what I see as good-looking wrestling, good-looking wrestling has a hard cam and maybe has one or two roving cameras, and you'll be mostly watching one camera shot at one time. So you see the hard cam, something interesting is happening, you'll get one shot of that for a while, and then it'll pull back to the hard cam. The way that works is it gets you completely immersed in the story. The wrestlers are out to, to tell their story, and most importantly, you go along with the pacing. WWE production is the exact opposite to that. The insane amount of camera cuts, the weird angles they're shooting, um, it, it basically it gives this frenetic feel. And the reason they're doing it is for excitement, to make it feel more like an action film. It's like, wow, look at all this crazy stuff going on. But what you actually do is you get completely taken away from the match. So it just, you can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy what the wrestlers are doing because you just try to keep up what the fuck what the fuck's going on with all the camera cuts? And the thing is, if you compare it to action films, action films are on closed sets. They've got stuntmen. They've got multiple, you know, uh, they've got multiple uh, sh uh, shoes. They've got post-production. is not like that. Or wrestling's not like that. It's just one shot with incredible, incredibly talented guys who can tell a story with their bodies and give you this simulated combat live right between them and know how to do the pacing know how to tell a story they can all do that they don't need to all the bullshit to put it out they don't like they don't need all the, the shit that WWE does it, it's it does the opposite it takes you away from their brilliance essentially um, and the and, and the issue with this is it's not just now it's not just WWE so AEW had a great chance to move away from this and they are all in all, I think better than WWE at this, as in they don't go as crazy, but their production is still way too jazzy and it's influenced by Kevin Dunn. And, you know, and, and funnily enough, there's a lot of terrible AEW shots of the missing important stuff. And it's because they don't have the guys that have been working with Kevin Dunn for 20 fucking years. So they've got Cameron trying to replicate, well, not Cameron, but a production team trying to replicate that and failing. So it's not just killing WWE, but it's having negative effect in other companies while people trying this, you know, I hate to use the word, but this more sports entertainment style when they need to be filming fucking wrestling. And that is what, like, literally, I just wish someone who knew what they're fucking doing could get the WWE footage of the last 20 fucking years and go and get all these amazing face-offs, like AJ versus Brian or whatever, or, like, Kevin Owens and shit, and just cut it properly so I could enjoy it. Because... I don't watch WWE anymore because you could have fucking peak Nigel McGuinness versus peak Mitsuhara Masawa, and it's a three and a half to four star match max because it's just not it's just not produced properly. 
And it's so, so sad. And I know people are probably going to say, well, oh, actually, I don't really notice the production. I just watch the wrestling. But you do, because it's subconscious. I don't, I don't know fuck all that TV. I didn't know. I just noticed I didn't really like WWE matches as much as I liked other companies' matches. And it's only when I literally did side by side to realise what was going on, that it's this is what's killing, this was fucking killing the product. It's what's killing wrestling at all. We need to move away from it, strip it back, pair it back, let these incredible wrestlers do their job. So that's my my pitch to you, lad. Sorry that that took a while. Um, am I completely mental? I mean, it, it, you can't argue with that. I mean, what I, I, I am worried now that you've drawn it to my attention that it's like a Pandora's box, and I'm not going to be able to enjoy wrestling anymore ever. Like, I think I wonder. I wonder if you've just ruined wrestling for everybody <laughs> that, that hasn't noticed it. Um, May I? I'm I'm not informed enough. I. I've never really put my finger on that being a reason why I don't find WWE as visually appealing as other types of wrestling. I, I don't know. The problem is like, we're just, we're, we're never going to get a change. Are we? Do we, do you think that it's partially because of the rating that they have to always cut away from any impact like on of moves is that is that part of it i don't know i might be completely off base there but when i watch and i'm like oh they just cut away from the impact of like of a move and maybe that's because they don't want it to seem violent i don't know if that was the case would that not apply to like they'd be able to show that on pay-per-view though like i'm just presuming that that was a thing like and, and i think pay-per-views is bad i generally don't think there's a there's a it's that, that's an interesting shout on and then there may be yeah. true to that in parts but if you watch a, a pay-per-view match you'll you'll find the same watch it side by side with like a a, a proper wrestling match and it's just, but, just it's not comparable wwe pay-per-view is still rated the same i mean they would be isn't it like they, they would be allowed to show more things on pay-per-view than tv but they don't because they want to encourage children to watch their pay-per-views as well as the tv show i, I believe um but i mean it's it's neither here nor there like i mean i'm sure i'm sure you're absolutely correct matt i i Abram, i should say like i um i just don't i i don't know if we're ever going to get a fix for it because it's almost like you say it's become um like like systemic yeah, and it's it. yeah it's really this is, this is what it looks like because wwe like they've always been obsessed with what they produce looking unique they want it's almost like the simpsons with the yellow characters isn't it it's like oh this is what wwe looks like on tv it has the same entrance it has the same fireworks the same color ring ropes and the same camera cuts i guess yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't have many hot takes other than I think you're right, though. Yeah, unfortunately. My only thing about it is um, that I don't really notice it during matches because because it, it's a match and, and there's so much going on. But I do notice it when, like, for, say, for example, it's, it's a promo and then you get a run-in and a schmoz. That's when I really notice it mm. because... It's like like that's the one thing of that segment. It's like a still camera on a pro on like a on like a like a medium shot of a wrestler doing his promo, and then a schmoz happens, and there's like four hundred cuts in um in in like a minute, mm. and that's when I really notice it. But I don't really notice it during matches, and I don't know why because it does happen, and I'm aware it does happen. But my brain 
doesn't necessarily say oh that's a like that's a lot of cuts on on that um side of things but what i also would just ask you like i generally don't know the, the answer does done have control of nxt because it doesn't seem to affect that as largely as the main roster well, so, so, so this is quite interesting. I, I think he definitely did at time. I, I did a, a lot of research on, on this historically, and I've definitely heard Kevin Dunn doing basically line producing, uh, like the audio of Kevin Dunn line producing an NXT show. But I think it's a bit earlier. Now it doesn't feel like that. Like NXT's production isn't perfect, but it, it's definitely not as quick. So the only thing is, if he is involved in it still, it's I presume it's with the idea that no, it shouldn't, it's, you can't do it the same way as you do the, the uh, Raw and SmackDown. Because it's definitely, it's definitely different. There, you know, you can just tell the way it's shot is fundamentally different in NXT. It, they definitely give a lot more time to breathe and like... A million percent, yeah. And that's why it's better. That, for me, that's why it's better. It, it, like literally, it, that's a, a, an incredible phrase actually, Ross, giving you time to breathe. Because that is, is how you enjoy the wrestling. You get, it's that moment, where, as, as wrestling fans, where something's emerging in the ring and your spine just starts tingling and you're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. You yeah. can never get that in WWE because you, you're just never given a chance to. And, it, and I think it's just really sad because and, and like, there's a lot of WWE bashing on the internet and, and it's really unfair because I think there's, you know, they've got a lot of great wrestlers. They've got a lot of great road agents, you know, that, that, that probably in ring, if you watched it live or if you watched, you know, or if it was cut differently, I think the matches would be gorgeous. And, and it's just sad that, the, the legacy of these wrestlers for me are missing out because they're, they're not they're not visually produced properly. Yeah, for me, um, NXT um, and Progress actually. I thought when Progress was being filmed two three years ago in particular, I think there were some shots like, um, for example, I think there was a shot where um, where um, Travis was still champion, and they shot kind of so kind of through his legs. Um, as he was looking up at the stage where when um, Volta came as like the next challenger, mm. like so, like stuff like that was amazing. On NXT, they they um, really went with that Keith Lee thing where he would like slowly come up from out of yeah. shot. Um, like it didn't feel like the main roster has like we're gonna plan to do this one like striking shot. Like it just feels mm. like we've got to do as many as possible. Yeah. Um, but they did do it once because before Keith Lee did it. The first person that I remember doing that kind of shot out of nowhere was um, the one good Undertaker match during his final run where he had that tag match with Drew McIntyre and Drew McIntyre came just behind him and did the Claymore. Yeah. Um, so that's quite interesting. But like you say, like I can't think of many striking images like that that WWE have produced. Whereas, whereas I can think of, off the top of my head, I can think of many in other promotions. Do you mean in matches or just generally though? In, like in matches, oh right, yeah. Because I always think of the um, the framing of the um, Jericho Owens breakup was just I don't know if it was luck or judgment or whatever, but the reveal of the the board and then the cut to Owens and oh, that's perfect. Yeah, it's not a match, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, credit where credit's due. That that was really good. Yeah, but that's like out, but that's outside of match action, isn't it? Which is yeah, where yeah, 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 I'm no, focusing it, on in yeah, ring. Yeah, yeah. I am focusing on in, in ring, but you know, it's um, yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's just, that's just my. Yeah, my, my take on things really. And I think it's just really sad because I think you, you're probably talking about 10, 15, 10 uh, 15, maybe 20 years of wrestling. That could have been a lot fucking better, but it isn't. 
and we can never get it back unless someone goes back and re-edits it, which I'd love them to do if they got access to the footage. Excellent stuff. Well, I told you it was coming off a long run, guys, but yeah, no, it's <laughs> definitely, worth, definitely worth it. Um, so uh, if we still have time, we'll, go, we'll get into the uh, everyone's favourite segment, Book of Bingo. Sounds lovely. B-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name-o. This is Booker Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Matt Connolly's taking control as last week's reigning champion. Yeah. I'm, I had a quick look at the spreadsheet and realised that I'm petrified that some of the wrestlers I don't know are going to come up on my week. So I hope a couple of them come up now that <laughs> I don't know. Because there are some names on here I've never heard of. And I thought I was a pretty savvy wrestling fan. I am not. Um, I'm... There's definitely going to be weeks when I'm going to have to ask Ross to give me a quick pitch on who they are before. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to. So, did you <laughs> to peel the curtain back? Do you just press randomize and then the first two names? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. This is actually two wrestlers I know, and it's a match that will never happen in real life. So you've got free reign here, guys. You have got a match to book between Randy Orton. And AEW's women's former women's champion Riho. Um, yeah, we've been so lucky so far. Um, does anyone want to offer to go first, or shall I just randomly pick someone up? Yeah, I'll go. I'll get in first. Um, just, just because I had no idea straight away. So I, I'm imagining that Orton has finally got sick of being on the WWE uh, roster. He's had enough. He's had a falling out with Vince. He's going to go MIA like he did at the end of his military career, right? Dishonorable discharge. And so he's going to turn up to AW. And he comes in as the legend killer. And he's walking around, he's, he's, and he's just, like, shitting on AEWs. Like, there aren't any legends here at all. I, I, I'm not going to kill Tully Blanchard. There's no one else here that's worthy of being a legend. And then all of a sudden, here comes AEW's second-ever women's champion, Riho. It's second-ever, is that right? Have I got that right? Second or third? Was she inaugural, right? Was she the first one? Oh, oh was she the all right, yeah, okay, so there, there you go. It shows how closely I'm watching. So anyway, uh, Randy Orton deliberately makes a mistake saying that Riho is the second ever AEW Women's <laughs> Champion when clearly, when clearly she is the inaugural. And then all of a sudden he thinks, well, maybe there is one legend here, the first ever AEW Women's Champion. Um, so that is how we get to the match. Randy Orton is going to kill the legend of Riho, the first ever AEW Women's Champion. Um, and he, in the match, um, he hits the RKO, but he's not happy enough with the uh, with the pin. He doesn't just want the win. He wants to kill the legend of Riho. He goes for the punt. Riho unties his shoelace in mid-punt. He trips over <laughs> and then and, and then she rolls him up with an untied shoelace. Um, and Riho beats the legend killer and Randy Orton has to find somewhere else to go and work because he just doesn't get over without the Kevin Dunn camera cuts. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's... All right, well then, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave Ross to main event this one. Um, right, so I'm going to go with um, two years' time, Orton, after hinting it for a long time, signs for AEW. He, uh, that, 
and then now we've got a um, we've got a face Kenny Omega, right? And Orton, you know, Orton comes in and he basically his whole shtick is the the Orton that we get now on Twitter. Basically, he's a fucking old school proper wrestler. All these fancy damn modern wrestlers are bullshit. Obviously, Kenny Omega is the king of the fancy damn mod, um, modern wrestlers. They have a fucking great feud. Face Omega, heel Orton. In that, we get Omega beating the shit, uh, sorry, Orton beating the shit out of Omega. Their first match together, Orton wins with a couple of RKOs and the and Omega's fucking bloody beaten on the floor, on in the ring, sorry. And obviously, Omega's other role is that he's obviously trained the, and he, he's the big advocate and does a lot of the booking for the women's division. So on the sideline, there's, you know, there's a couple of the, the, the women's wrestlers there to support him. What Orton doesn't realise is he's still in the ring and kind of doing his kind of that weird Orton face he does towards the Titan Tron or whatever AEW's equivalent is. Um, Rio's come in the back and she's uh, um, Rio and maybe, I don't know, Mizunami or whoever's there at the time and he's comforting Kenny and making sure he's okay. And Orton smiles at the camera and turns around to do the punt. But he doesn't realise that Rio's come in and he just goes, bang smacks on a jaw, she's out. The crowd, like, fucking go deathly silent. And even Orton's, like, a bit like, what the fuck have I just done? And he goes out of the ring, and it builds up. And the next week, rather than going, being, like, backing off and being whatever, he's just like, you know, I didn't mean to kick her, but if that bitch is going to get in my way when I'm after Omega, she's dead, right? And then the fucking, and Orton's got fucking heel heat or whatever. And then it goes on, they have this great feud, Omega eventually comes out on top, which is what he should do in that situation. But obviously, Rio's been written off TV for six months. She's been, she's been kicked off. And then comes out, Orton, um, after... He, he comes and beats someone shit like Sean Spears or whatever after it. A face Sean Spears, which everyone is tying out for not. But anyway, and Orton after it is just like, right, I'm done here. You know, AEW's been a waste of my time. I'm the best fucking wrestler in the world. Bye and like whatever but as he's just doing it aw for the 14th time probably that month does the lights out spot and it comes back on and rio is like is behind him and they've got the shot of rio's head behind his shoulder and the crowd lose their shit rio does does the running knee but instead to his head to the back of his knee and then he drops down and she's backs up and as he sits up she fucking puts him in the head and the crowd go absolutely insane which then leads to a they do um, an intergender match between them both, which has the um, which Orton obviously dominates, but Rio gets in her amazing fire spots, which she's brilliant at. She again hits him with a running knee, gets up, replays the spot, kicks him in the face, full on punt, and then literally waits for him to get back up. Does as he just gets up like a dead man, hits a second punt. The crowd go wild. Rio pins him. Orton kicks out at 2.9 um, to kind of, and then you get the deflation and Rio just looks at him shocked. Orton hits the RKO, um, pins her, and then literally walks out of, of AW. It's his last match. And he just gets onto the, he gets to the very, the very top of the, um, at the stage and just nods to Rio one nod and walks out. And that's his last moment in the company. Awesome. I'm not sure that I can follow it, but I'll give it a go. So, um, 
I'm going to say that um, Randy Orton's had an absolute nuff of Alexa Bliss. <laughs> just terrorising him week in, week out. Black magic. He's, he's, he's coughing up tar. He's, he's not having a good time. He knows that the fiend is on the horizon. So he's got to do something about it. And he goes into his old bag of tricks, literally into a bag. And he finds Alexa Bliss's suitcase and he takes the biggest shit that he can. And it ends up that he gets found out and it's an absolute shitstorm, literally. He's all over the dirt sheets, literally. And he's fired from the, from the WWE weeks before WrestleMania, causing all sorts of problems for the booking. And of course, the WWE. And he's got a 90-day clause, so he can't wrestle anywhere. And... He's doing um, shoot interviews, though, about it, and he's saying that he's done, that, that, that the wrestling business is, isn't what it used to be. You can't shit what you want anymore. You can't do anything back. <laughs> you can't <laughs> shit what you want <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so he's just absolutely livid about the state of wrestling, and he's, and he's tweeted with the likes of CM Punk, um, and they're kind of laughing about the death of wrestling. And uh, you think he's done. But then he does an interview with Alvarez and Meltzer. And he says the only way that he's going to come back to wrestling is he's going to only wrestle in intergender matches. <laughs> and Tony <laughs> Khan hears this and he sees absolute just dollar signs because, because intergender wrestling is something that there's a, there's a, there's a clamour for it in the Western world. And if you've got a wrestler with the caliber of Randy Orton, who's only willing to wrestle women, and you can just get and you can have him in a contract, that's what it has to happen. And he thinks the first person that I'm going to book him against is Rio, and Rio is a wrestler that's really struggled to captivate the audience with a lack of charisma. So what they do is they have a <laughs> they have a, a bum bag of shit on a pole match. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the only way that you can win is by undoing the bum bag and um, covering your opponent in, in shit <laughs> and uh, they book the match and, and the um, bum bags don't go off <laughs> <laughs> and they book the match and Rio comes out and she's just she, she, she can't believe that Tony Khan's put her in this situation <laughs> and um, she comes out and she's not really um, she, she looks white as a ghost. She's she's clearly not up for it. Um, and, and Randy Orton, on the other on the other hand, he's absolutely gagging for this match because he knows that he's going to kick the shit out of someone and then cover them in shit. And that's what he's about now. And just as he as he reaches up to 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 grab the bag after hitting Rio with it with an absolutely savage R RKO, Maki Ito's theme music hits. And he stalls, looking at, over to Makiito singing that song. And Rio low blows Randy Orton. He falls to the ground. Makiito is the one that climbs the ropes. And Tony Schiavone says, oh my God, Makiito, she is the deity of shit. And she's covering Randy Orton in shit. And they've won the match. And that is the end of Randy Orton's AEW career. <laughs> Covered in shit as Maki Ito and Rio dance and sing around him. 
on his debut. <laughs> and that is my looking of the match. <laughs> Lads, that was a high standard considering who we had. I like that you all booked the end of Orton's run in AEW. <laughs> <laughs> none, none of you wanted that Rio feud to build to anything. You're all like, Annie leaves. All three of you, Annie leaves. Um, they're all great. Like, Brum's lined out a year of TV off of a Rio Orton match. So, oh, they're all great. I really don't know which one. I think just, just for the line, and that's what he's all about now, with regards to Orton loving shit, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to edge, edge it to Ross. I did like the idea of Orton coming in and getting rolled up with a tied shoelace and then fucking off. But that line from Ross has snuck it in at the death for me. Yeah, like, well, I mean, me and Dom did all right, but in terms of other lines in Ross's, you're never going to compete with. <laughs> you can't shit where you want anymore. <laughs> okay, it's so good. Got a chant, he shits where he wants. To me, that across the board is the highest standard so far. All three could work. Fantastic, mate. You, when 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 you get good pieces in the cog, you build a good machine, don't you? That's just like we just had great workers there. Brilliant. Orton <laughs> saying he'll only do an agenda. Going on Kaufman on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking. I, I was thinking this Kaufman as well, isn't it? I'm only yeah. going to wrestle. In, like, I'd love him to come out in the Kaufman T-shirt. Intergender yeah. wrestle world wrestling women. Do you think Rand, Do we, am I be, Do you think Randy Orton knows who Rio is? Uh, like he obviously enjoys wrestling. I don't know if he would know. Yeah, really. he does. I think he does. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that is this our new prediction? So obviously, like we keep accidentally <laughs> getting things right. Ethan Page, Matt Bucked. I um I called New Jack to AEW, which he's been tweeting <laughs> about and getting the title run. So that's going to happen next week. And then is the next one? Are we going to see <laughs> Rio versus Randy Orton in uh, at Summerfest? Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Well, there we have it. Wrestling should be fun, part episode five. Pretty, pretty good place to leave it there with Brummett questioning whether we could get another prediction right. Randy Orton versus Riho in the future. Turns out we didn't get that one right, but we are going to get Randy Orton versus Alexa Bliss live on pay-per-view. I can swear that we did record this well before that was announced. And you know what? Maybe we are just the wrestling oracle. If you're enjoying what we're doing, come and give us some support. You know how to do it. Tell someone about us. Rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And until next week, thanks very much to Matt Brummett, Matt Connolly, Ross the Boss Casey. This is Tom Phil. Drink lots of water. Look after your mates.